give this direction to go. We'll not do anything but just really spin the wheels. We'll turn around. So if you were to decide on what steps you would take, I would show you in the Bible this morning, especially where you need to try to turn to. So take your Bibles and go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. If you can find a Bible, you'll need to get a pen. So find a nice lady near you. I never take my hand in my life first as I treasure my hand. Uh, make sure that you get a pen or a pencil. And I'm going to have you write in your Bible this morning something very, very important. And so take your pen out and understand where you are uh, to go to that uh, book. Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to see what God does in the area of steps. Now, God has told us to take one step at a time. I stayed last night in, in a home. They had a brand new baby, and that baby is taking its first steps. When you see the first steps taken by a child, the whole family comes in. We're all excited by the first steps of a toddler. They take those little steps and we cheer and clap and so forth and pretty soon they're running around and pretty soon uh, we wish that uh, they, they wouldn't be so rambunctious. But they gain very quickly. But every step you take brings you closer to your goal. Every step you take takes you further down the road as to where you're going to end up. And in your life, where you are right now, and the rest of the time that God has given you, God wants you to be making progress for him. The Bible has to say here in this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Thou, Lord, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse number 2 and 3. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same committed thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore, verse number three, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that bore that taketh himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for mystery ministries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. Verse number six says, The husband that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Consider what I say, verse number seven, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. There's something special about the direction of the will. Hold your place right here, if you will, in this book, in uh, 2 Timothy, and turn over to Psalms chapter 37, verse 23. Psalms 37 verse 23. It's interesting as you look at your Bible, as you use your Bible, God gives us the direction that we're going to take. Somebody read that for me. Psalm 37 verse 23. Read it right out. Ready? Go. Okay, we got a dual reading. That's that's good. The Bible simply says, look, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Are you a good man or a good woman? He delighted, the Bible says, in his way. 
God gives us certain steps to take. When he becomes in charge of your life, when God is dictating as to what you do, we are very careful as to the steps that we take. God is leading, is mysteriously working. It's like a giant chess game. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what we're going to do in this life. But God is giving you the direction. And all of a sudden, if we take the right steps, God will bless us. Turn over to Psalm 73 and verse 2. Look at the right. Psalm 73 and verse 2. Somebody else read that. Psalm 73 and verse 2. Join in with me now in your Bible. Here we go. We're going to write in our Bible in just a moment. Psalm 73, verse 2. Who's got it? Just go ahead and read it, right? 72, 2? 73. 73. And verse 2. Yeah. Um, okay. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had, well, I slipped. Did you know that you can slip? We had the worst winter on record this year in Yakima. Winter was five weeks longer than it's ever been before. And I'll guarantee you, there was a lot of slipping on snow and ice. When you slip, you injure yourself in your being able to walk forward. When a runner, if you're racing, if you look backwards while you're running, if you turn one back to see who's back there, if you turn around one time, they say you lose one stride. We need to go and understand that in our life, if God is going to get you to the goal that he has for you, you better not slip. We need to be sure-footed. How many of you ever slipped? Boy, that's a deadly thing for an older person. It's a slip and fall. We need to be careful that we hold on and we're very carefully there. Psalm 119, verse 133. Go there quickly. Somebody read that for me. Psalm 119, <coughs> 133. This is Sunday school. I'm teaching you now this morning. And I'm going to give you some steps that the Bible says that we are to take. Psalm 119, who's got it? Verse number 133. Order my steps in thy word, and let not be any good you have dominion over. Okay. God says, order, look at that, my steps in thy word. We need to go along with the word of God. We need to order our steps according to his word. And it says, let not any iniquity. That's talking about sin, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We need to be careful about self-will and the idea of iniquity. But notice what it says. The Bible says, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. If we're going to take the proper steps, you've got to be able to do it. You've got to allow any dominion to come over you. Here's another one. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 13. We're just moving from the left to the right. Clear back to the book of Hebrews. Somebody else read that? Go. Yes. We make to make straight paths. The quickest way to get to some place where we're going to go is a direct line, a straight line. When you divert to the right, you divert to the left. A lot of times I make decisions in my life, the Lord, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. 
and I get off track, that's not God's problem, that's Dave Brown. I decided to do one thing and I do something else. I decide to take a step and I'm turning over here and I'm looking over to this side. Pretty soon, I could totally be off guard, out of God's will, and not doing what God has directed me to do. We've all got to guard against that. God wants us to make proper steps in the direction that he's led you. Every one of us are different. Did you ever notice two snowflakes? All snowflakes are different. There's never been any two that are alike. And we are different people. We've got nine children. I'm telling you, every one of them have got a different personality. If we'd had 20 children, they'd all be different than the other one. They're not the same. You're not the same. God made you unique. You're unique. God has a special plan for you. And the idea, after you've been saved and after you've been baptized, the next thing is finding out what God wants you to do specifically as a believer. What is it that God has in store for you? You have no idea. Some of you young guys will be preaching one day. You have no idea what you'll be doing. Some of you may be called to a foreign field. You may be called to be right here, to be a worker, to be faithful in the church. But is it following those steps that God shows us that's important? One more verse, Hebrews chapter 12, and look at verse number 15. This is a key verse in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We need to be careful about the direction. Turn with me now back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, you'll need a Bible, and you'll need a pen or a pencil, and I want you to write these down very carefully. Look at what it says in verse number one. Thou therefore my son, Paul's talking about him and his relationship to Timothy. Timothy was learning from the apostle Paul. Notice what he says in verse number one. There, thou therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Out to the left of your verse or to the right of your verse, depending on how your Bible is written, I want you to write a giant S. Just write an S right next to that verse. We're going to spell a word. Ready? Begin. Write an S out on that side. We need to be strong in the Lord. We don't want to be weak. We had some boys playing baseball yesterday at a barbecue. It would rain a little bit. It would get cool a little bit. It would be raining a little bit. Then it would get windy a little bit. Guys in Yakima, they quit and go inside. Guys, you have to walk like me. You try to ditch out because of, you know you're not used to that. People over here, you paint houses, you play baseball, play soccer, everything. You just keep on doing it because the rain doesn't make you stop. But we all need to be strong. We don't want to be strong. We don't want to be weak. Those of you who played ball yesterday, you had to be strong to hit that ball. You had to be continuing to do what you set out to do. Write an S by that word. Notice in verse number two, all right? It says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
Underline the word teach in your Bible. Underline the word teach. In verse number one, you've underlined the word strong. Be strong, but you're able to teach, verse number two, others also. Did you know that somebody's looking up to you, somebody's following after you? And if you're taking the wrong steps in your life, you're leading that individual the wrong way. You don't know who is looking. You don't know who is watching. But everybody has somebody that adores you, somebody that likes you, somebody that wants to be just like you. And often it's young people. We are not even aware of the people that like us and want to be around us. They want to follow you. As they follow you, we need to follow our pastor. We need to follow the Lord. We need to do what is right spiritually. And you're going to find that there's others that need to be taught. We teach others just by the way that we live. We teach others when we have an opportunity. You may not be a, an official Sunday school teacher. You may not be someone that's teaching others officially, but you are teaching others by the direction and by the steps that you take. We see that in verse number two, Bible says that we are able to be faithful who shall be able to teach others also. So you've got a giant S, and by verse number two, you've written down a giant T. Let's go down to verse number three. It says, thou therefore endure, underline the word endure, if you will, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. By the way, are you a good soldier of Jesus Christ? Can you be counted on? I was in the Marine Corps, we were given orders, and they told us this, this is the very first day in boot camp, but we had to get off the bus and we had to stand on yellow footprints that were painted on the ground. You know what I remember? First thing I remember that night when we got into camp, the first night I remember there was a fan that was going on a building and it was just blowing and it was, it was silent, absolutely deadly quiet. And we poured out of there, we put our feet on the yellow footprints. I had a friend that told me, he said, Dave, listen, when you get off that bus, go to the front because they choose the squad leaders and they don't bug you. Get as close to those steps as you can. I was in the second row. And I got off that bus and I went to the front row and I stood there. I just had to stand there. They made squad one, squad two, squad three, squad four. I became instantly a squad leader. I determined in my mind that I was going to hold that position no matter what it took because we had thrilled three drum instructors and they were not happy with us at all. All they did was to yell, to scream, to shout, to use bad language. It was miserable. If anybody could have gone home in 10 weeks, and I'd have been the first one over the fence. I became, I became the squad leader for our whole platoon. And it was tough because we had to do marching. That giant grinder, there's a giant asphalt area called the grinder at MCRD, and you had to march and march and march every day. I wore out a pair of boots in 10 weeks of boot camp, just simply marching. If you go down there to visit, you just hear one thing when a platoon walks by. A platoon that's been there five or six, seven weeks ago, all in precision. They take from guys from every nationality, every age group, 
every different form of bodily, you know, integrity, and they put all of that together. They have to work you in that ten weeks into a unified organism that's working and powerful. And they, they try to take those weeks and develop you. And part of that is getting you to march in precision. The last day we march, and you can always go on Thursdays, and you can go on the base and you can park your vehicle and get out and watch. And they come marching by. Every platoon that graduates comes marching by. And it's amazing. You say, what's the big deal about that? You try to get a bunch of guys, you try to get five guys or ten guys to do the same thing in the same way. By the way, we look the same. I remember when they shaved off all my hair. Man, I didn't bother me. There's some guys that had ponytails down to their waist. They said, you want to keep that private? They just cut it off. They cut other guys here halfway down, all bald on this side, and they let the side go. And then they made them stand up and everybody laughed at them. It was terrible. We had one guy that was going through that had an infestation of lice in his hair. And the only thing they could do was give you a pack on his back, get his head, and gasoline. And they had to kill all those bugs. I tell you, it was a miserable time. A miserable time. But you know what? By the time we were out, by the time we were finished, we were all marching in order. And we had the right steps to go in. Listen, I want you to know God wants to put you in step. He wants to get you in line. He wants to shape you up. And God wants you to make those steps directly towards his perfect will. What is God's will for your life? You know what your spiritual gift is? We're not talking about the gifts of the Spirit, but spiritual gifts. God has equipped you in some area, in some ability. Maybe you can teach, maybe you're a giver, maybe you're a soul winner. God has given you abilities. You may only have one, you may have two, I don't know. But we need to find God's perfect will after we've been saved and we've been baptized. You need to find out exactly where God wants you to be and go directly to that place and make it in accordance with your life. I'm going to do this with my life. That's a very one goal that I have is to walk in perfect step till I get to that place that God wants me to be. You say, Pastor, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. God will show you as you begin to pray. You try teaching for a while, you try ushering for a while, you try doing different things. Pastor, what do you think I can do? Oh, listen, after he gets up down and he dusts himself off and falling over, he's going to have all kinds of things for you to do. If you'll just give it a time, God is going to direct you in steps. He will. Looking down at verse number one, you've got a giant S to the left. Verse number two, you've got a giant T that's written out to the side. In verse number three, it told us to endure hardness. Man, it's tough to endure hardness. You say, Pastor, I've never endured hardness. You will, you will. There will be deaths that come. Boys and girls, you're going to lose your mom and dad someday. You say, I can't think of that. Oh, yeah. Unless the Lord comes back in return, you're going to lose your mom and dad. You're going to lose loved ones and friends. That's tough. You're going to have to endure heartaches. It may be the loss of a job. It may be suddenly that you have to stop in the environment. There has to be something, some type of thing. You're going through problems. You know, Life is one problem after another. It's just like this. 
Life is one difficulty after another. You don't just get saved and God saves you from all kinds of problems. No, no, no. When you get saved, God saves you and he enables you to go through the problems that you have, through the difficulties of life, and he makes it easy. But there's going to be things. Listen, they don't come just one at a time. One at a time, two at a time, three at a time. They come in clumps. When one thing goes wrong, man, I'll tell you what, hold on because something else is coming. And it's going to be difficulties and, and different things that come. Listen, a lot of Christians get started. They set out. They said, Lord, I'll follow you. I'll be willing to do anything. Lord, you can count on me. But I want you to know, you're kind of like Peter. You're kind of like others that said, Lord, go about keep me. And, and the Lord says to him, he says, uh, you're going to have some problems. You're going to face some things. You're going to deny me. What did Peter say? No, 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 not me. Not me, Lord. You can count on me. I will not forsake him, yet he forsook him. We need to understand that the hardness of life requires some endurance. What is your endurance capability? Are you able to endure some hardness and some difficulties in this life? So you've got out to the right of that verse, you've got E, a giant E. Verse number three, that therefore, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Let's look at verse number four. It says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Friend, listen, this life is too short to entangle yourself with any affairs. Anything that comes along, anything that opportunity, anything that Satan tries to get you involved in. Satan's always after us. He's always after the good. He's always after your marriage. He's after your time. He's after your finances. Satan wants to mess you up. He wants to get you off track. He delights in nothing more than just getting you to ease up and to calm down and quit serving the Lord. That's what he does to all of us. That's what he does to me. I've got to keep on going. Things that bother me and things that tempt me and things that come to my way, they are not going to tempt you. They're not going to bother you in other ways. But boy, I'll tell you, it sure does me. God knows he will give you the strength to overcome failures in your life. Satan is looking today to find some way to make you mess up. Verse number four, no man of warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That he may please him. Would you underline the word please in your Bible? Underline that word please. And out to the right of that verse, write a giant P. S-T-E-P. God has given you some direct steps to follow. The Bible says that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. Do you know that God has chosen you? You say the word man, choose somebody else. I can't play the organ. Or I can't play the piano. I don't have the ability to come down and do a beautiful work on this building. I don't know who painted it. I don't know who did this work over here. You have a beautiful auditorium in your church. I don't know if you know that, but you've got a beautiful auditorium. You say, Pastor, I don't have any skill in that way. I see a guitar over there. I can't play the guitar. God has not given me the ability to play the guitar. 
my son plays the guitar. Somebody in this church can play the guitar, but you say that not may not be made. Listen, he is going to hinder you from doing what you can, but all of us have an ability that we can use for him. So if you're multi-ability, you're able to do things. You can work on a TV screen. I would not know the first thing in setting that up, how to connect it to the wall, how to plug the wires in. But some of you, that's just easy thing. It's easy to do. Some of you can work the sound booth. I don't know much about sound. Louder, softer, I can do that. I can turn that dial. But that's about all that I'm able to do. I'm not worth much in the kitchen. A lot of guys can barbecue like we had such a good barbecue in your house yesterday. I am the last one. I, as far as math, I don't barbecue. I don't cook burgers. I don't cook ribs. Hey, I like to eat all those things. But I'm just crummy when it comes to cooking. The reason is, is that I had a mom that cooked all the time. I had a wife that cooked. I had seven daughters in a row. We had nine children, two boys. Seven girls in a row. Every day our stove was burning. It was going. And they were saying, Dad, try this. Dad, want some cookies? Dad, try this. I man, I eat like a dog. It was just wonderful. All the time this girl was growing up. But you know what? I never learned to cook. Pastor, you sorry for that? Yeah, because when I'm by myself, all I can make is bacon and eggs. <laughs> but you see, you've got some skill and you've got some talent. Because the guy down the road from you does not have. You've got some ability. You've got a personality. I love guns, and we got horses where I live. And we butcher our own beef, and we do that type of thing. We live out in the country. Somebody else may not have that ability. They may not know it. They may not have that skill. But I have it. And I have skills in other areas that perhaps you don't. But God wants to take all of us in, and he wants to use us. That's what the church is all about. The Bible says the church is fitly framed and formed together. God has given us a church. And listen, the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If Christ loved the church, then we're to love the church. We need to fall in love with what Christ has given to us in the church. We're not talking about the building. This is a beautiful building, but you are the church, the visible and simple body of believers. You are the church. And Christ says that we're to become a part of that. We're to get involved in it. We're to give to it. We're to be loyal to it. We need to say, I love my church. This is my church, and this is where I need to be. Listen, if I live within 100 miles, almost do, but if I live close to this church, this is where I come to church. You know what? I let Jason and Jamie be my preacher and be my preacher's wife because they are interested, they're concerned, they care about, and they teach the word of God. What a wonderful pastor God has given to the church. You love your church? Then we need to make steps because the Lord will work through the church and he'll work through the pastor, and he will direct and guide. When we're little guys, we grow up to be big guys. We had some good little guys yesterday. When it was time for devotion, they all said they just like we were just wanting this thing. 
when it was time to go, they went out and played ball hard. We need to be about the Lord's business, but we must take the right steps. Are you looking at your Bible? We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 1. I'll decide verse number 1, right in Gis. And you've underlined the word strong. In verse number 2, the Bible says that we are to be able to teach others also. Underline the word teach. And out to the right, that's verse right in Gis-T. You're able to teach others also. If we don't teach others, they're going to be the same. They're never going to grow. They're never going to come to their mark of maturity. In verse number three, it says, therefore, endure hardness. You need to underline the word endure. And we need to realize that there's going to be some tough times. There's going to be tough. The, the difficulties that come in life are hard. But the only way to get through them is just to endure them. And you know, the more quickly that we endure, then the more quickly the Lord gets us through the problems of life. More problems that come, we just grit our teeth and you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to face it head on. You don't get anywhere by running from your problems. You don't get anywhere by ditching your problems. Every time you run from them, they always catch up with you later. There's preachers that have gone from one church to another church and we face the same problem at the other church that we face it both one back home. You may as well just make up your mind that you're just going to do the Lord's work, regardless of how hard and difficult and miserable it may come. You've had some horrible things that have come in your life. Difficult things, things that make others go, wow, I'm sure not glad I'm in that person's life. You look at somebody who looks successful to you, but you don't know the heartache and the grief and the turmoil that they went through in the steps that's led them in their life. All of us are a result of the steps that we've made. The reason that you're going through the problems that you have today and the difficulties that you have, God will serve you, God will bless you. But listen, a lot of times we go off course. We don't stay on the trail. We come to a place in the road and we take the wrong, we make the wrong decision. Wrong decisions brought us to the place in life where we are today. How important, how important it is to make the right steps. Verse number four, the Bible says that he may please him. We're to please the Lord. Nobody else makes any difference in this world. Your number one goal is to please the Lord. You don't have anybody else to turn to. You don't have anybody else to impress. It's amazing to me how often we try to impress others that don't make any difference in our life at all. Always trying to impress the car, the house, the home, by the money that you have. Listen, you may impress others, but we better be impressing Jesus. What does the Lord think? God wants us to be following his steps. Why? That he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. God has chosen you for a specific task in this life. Oh, no, 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 yeah. Pastor, not me. Yes, he has. He, he can choose somebody else. He wants you. Somebody else can do it. No, you are the only one that can do it. You don't wait for other people. You just do what you need to do. God arranges, and he will make possible 
the steps that you take. Verse number four, and then the Bible shows us in verse number five. And if a man also strive for the mastery, is that the word underline the word strive? If he strive for the mastery, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Striving is like enduring, but striving is winning up with, striving is moving ahead, striving is making headway. When you're walking in your steps, you're going to have to make some headway to get where you want to go. Your pastor's standard likes to go on ice. They like to get on a trail. And if everybody is striving, you cannot move and you cannot get together unless everybody comes along. That means that Jason and his wife have got to sometimes slow down, I'm assuming, so the lowest ones can catch up to where they're going. If you're striving to go up a trail, you start on that one trail and you don't get sidetracked and go off on another trail because it looks good. And I become interested in this trail or water. I know when you ski, you don't get off on those little side trails. You don't get off on those cat tracks, they call them. Because you go down this little ways, and it's real easy. They don't patrol those areas. It's real easy to become lost in the woods. When you get off the trail, it simply means that you're no longer on a trail. No longer do you know where to go. Listen, there's been many people that have walked here before. If I try to walk down and get to the back of the building, I better go down this way. I better not go down this way or that way. Because there's going to be obstacles in the your life is full of obstacles. Satan is making sure that there's something that's rolling towards you. Remember Donkey Kong? Remember what it was like when they rolled up those barrels? That monkey would throw those barrels and you had to hop over each barrel? My wife was good at that old game. And if you hop at the wrong time, you hop right into a barrel. And it was blocking you, it was knocking you out of the way, it was keeping you from winning the game. I want you to know something. Satan is going to use everything to get you discouraged. He's going to use a discouraging word for a friend. He's going to learn lose you with one bad phone call. He's going to come along and make you not feel real good. You're not going to have a apostrophe morning. You're going to have a terrible time because you didn't sleep good that night. Something is going to come, Satan is going to make sure that you do not strive in the right way. And so as you look at your Bible, the Bible says in verse number five, and a man, if a man also strive for pastors, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the truth. How true. Consider what I say, and the Lord giveth me understanding in all things. I want you to understand that today, if we give the Lord our life, if we give him our time and our talents, if we say, Lord, take my life, it's yours. You say, God will be around own press, only I can go away. He doesn't care what you have, he doesn't care who you are, he just wants you. And when you're willing to say, Lord, take me, bring me, hold me, make me, into anything that I want you to go. He wants you to walk in his steps. And as long as we stay in his steps, God's going to bless. 
and he's going to meet our needs, and he's going to take care of us financially. And he's going to help us in these difficult times. We just went through three years of misery in this country. It's time that we come back and we say, Lord, I don't care what comes my way. I'm going to follow you. I am going to take my steps. Now, your Bible, it should be S T E P S. Every time you look at 2 Timothy chapter number one, you're going to remember that God has given you and wants you and is guiding you to follow Him in His steps. Are you following the Lord today? Are you doing what God would have you to do? Are you allowing Him to be the example for you? Listen, my friend, God's greatest gift to us is that He's going to lead you, He's going to guide you through this life. What a miserable life, what a miserable place. What a miserable thing it is to just walk out and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Listen, we as Christian people are God's people. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. When we subject ourselves to the church and to the leadership of the pastor and are willing to say, Lord, you don't need to make the church what it ought to be. That's the greatest blessing that God can ever give you. God's going to guide you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you raise your family within the church. And he's going to bring about those things as you give him the proper steps of your life. Father, I pray today that you'll help us to understand. Help us to know. And help us to do your perfect will. Help us to follow the steps that you've laid out for us. In your wonderful and precious name now, I pray. Amen. God bless you, fellowship, and resume at 11 o'clock. We need to update it. Does this like a year before it allows us to use the software that we want to use? Um, the software we want to use it incorporates your slides, like your announcement slides, with your music slides. Instead of using Keynote PowerPoint, um, like for the music, you would just choose what handbook you use, and then you would put what number or what song it is, and it'll automatically put the lyrics. That would get rid of any issues where sometimes we have the wrong one. Could you use a MacBook or does it have to be the Mac? It doesn't have to be, the, it could be a MacBook. Um, it's just that's easier to steal. Which version is this that it won't let you use this one? This one's 2011. It's not that old. Yeah. Oh, it is in computer. I still have yeah, my stuff for a long time. Yeah, that's 12 years old. But it's just the software compatibility. The next year, the iOS wouldn't work with it. Either. Yeah, and I think my laptop too. And, and I and I can't get the new iMac yet, um, because this is extraordinarily expensive. <laughs> well, we have the funds saved for it. Like we've been putting money okay. aside yeah. every month or so, and we took last year we took a love offering or not love offering, an offering for media upgrades. Uh -huh. We just didn't have enough yet, but we spent we got three thousand. So, okay. We got three thousand saved for that. It's enough for a computer, but um, it, 
the new iMac, which is like three, two, maybe three years old. Are, they, are they, any of these yours? They're not, but yeah, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, only OL su supports one extra screen. And that's because it was Apple's first chip. Their first chip. They went to Wegmans, right? Yeah. And okay. so it was their first one, and they only gave it capable for one external monitor. Okay. Now, the MacBooks they have have the newer chips, and those could support up to four or five monitors. Really? So my MacBook will work for it and stuff. How old is your MacBook? A year. Mine's 2016, so yeah. mine probably wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. I had the one I was using was 2011 for a while, and it finally gave up a year ago. And, and so my MacBook would work. I just don't want all the kids all playing on it and stuff here yeah. and stuff or having to get it. But um, so the new chip could do it. And so I'm just waiting for the iMac to update their chip to their newest Apple one. Then we're going to get it. And then we're so we're, we won't get a uh, notebook. We'll get the yeah. stand-up. Yeah. What about the, um, the mini? Mm -hmm. that, that's an option as well. But the problem is you buy the mini, then they get so much Where's Westlake? Mm -hmm. That yeah, you could have bought Where's the iMac. Yeah. I mean, I, the Mini is cheap, yeah. I have, yeah. but I use it for the oh, Samsung it's, monitor. It's, yeah. it's but ugly, you but don't, you don't get all the features. Yeah. You know, the Who's microphone, that? the camera, all that doesn't work mm -hmm. if you have a Samsung monitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that was an option we were considering. Mini, yeah, this is a pretty powerful computer. Yeah. And so this one was just someone that was donated to us by um, someone that was upgrading their own computer. Quinn's um, parents, they said, hey, use it. We took it apart, which is usually not user accessible, but, but we took it apart, put a new hard drive in, so it would be a solid state drive. Or, or no, we just added memory, I think. We just upgraded the memory. I sure hate OS. I really do. It's all about the file management theory and philosophy. I, I don't know. You make a file. Who knows where it goes? No, Windows is logical. It's no, logical. It's self file. Folder, 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 subfolder. But on the Mac, who knows where they go? They got dots and and they go to weird places. It's just you don't know where your folder, your file is. It's a complete mystery. It's the same. You just gotta know how to do it. Well, I don't know how to do it. It's still folder based. <laughs> Just today, or just another day? That's right. Was this today? Is that why Lucy was out too? Hunter, 
Yeah, someone, something opened the gate and then it shut all the way. And then Lucy gave Bart at the door and he ran off to chase deer. Okay. Chase deer. Right now, so you know what we're doing. Come on up. Ready? Yeah. Uh-huh. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Oh, how she was chasing deer. Something opened the door and Lucy ran over to Barca at the door. Probably a deer. Barca at that door and fell to the door. Probably and then deer grabbed her. And then Ruby That's ran off to chase deer. It was probably oh, the deer. That's where you guys were. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It was probably okay. a deer that grabbed the, the string and pulled it. You're like, oh, come chase me. I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> But the 
evidence is completely absent. How could the human population only recently reach 7 billion? Why not several hundred thousand years ago, soon after man supposedly first evolved? We just surpassed 7 billion because humanity has been around for only thousands of years, not millions. The 2.4 billion years of evolutionary history with no population growth never actually happened. The current world population precisely aligns with biblical history. No added stories needed. Wow.
and to his words with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth all nations. Amen. We're going to be seated. Now, if you haven't been out to our midweek Bible study yet at 6 o'clock, I want to encourage you to come. We're doing a series on avoiding confusion, and our message this Wednesday will be on the deity of Christ. Uh, I think you um, be surprised to really see how many churches that call themselves Christian churches that really don't even believe in the deity of Christ and the Godhead of Jesus. And so we're going to be teaching on that, uh, going through the Bible, be a topical um, message, going through um, different verses on the Bible verses that talk about who Jesus is as a person. And if we don't get it right on who Jesus is, and the gospel is messed up. Uh, we miss the gospel. If Jesus was just an ordinary man or just a prophet, um, then it would, his death would have meant anything different than Moses dying or Abraham dying. But there is something very different with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So come on out Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. And um, in two weeks um, from this Sunday, we'll have our first quarter administration meeting. And um, I'm going over the financial reports, and everything's in the black, praise the Lord. Um, it's been growing. It's the church has been growing. The finances and giving has been growing as well. And um, so we'll be going over some updates. Uh, some updates we do have. They're hoping that have the church sign updated with our new, um, new times for us. Um, it still says 7 o'clock for Wednesday. Um, we need it 6 o'clock now, which has been working out much better than 7 was. And so we're getting the sign update. Hopefully it will be finished um, this week. And um, also we do have the doors. We raised funds for it, a special offering a couple of months ago. And so we have the funding to replace these doors here. I'm just having trouble having companies I'm trying to follow up with people that have came, did the measurements of several different doors for several different phases we want to do. And I can't get back a hold of them, a couple different companies. So I don't know if their business is just too busy right now or what, but um, I had another guy that works construction locally, and he said for doors, go outside of the town, outside of the county, um, and I'm finding another door company will be probably more reliable than what we have locally. So we're going to be looking at more options. It's, it's a little bit more challenging than just ordering a door from Home Depot. Needs to have different commercial um, specs and have the panic bar and things. So pray that we can get that going. We got the funds. We're ready to purchase it. Um, we just can't get the order place. And so we um, pray for that. And so we'll give up more financial updates as well. Um, in two weeks. And I'm going to open your Bible real quick as we prepare for the offering um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 13, the Bible says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? And so here the Bible is talking about how 
um, the priests and those that serve in the temple in the Old Testament that um, they would live off of in part from the finances that were given um, into the temple. And then it says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, Paul is laying out that the plan for the church is like a, and we give financial aid towards lots of things to, for missionaries um, so that they could focus on the mission field, um, preaching the gospel um, there and not have to um, work elsewhere is there working on some countries you're not able to work elsewhere some you are if you have a special skill um, but then also like supporting pastors and then today um, we're having a guest speaker and so we want to be able to support them financially so we're going to take the love offering if you um, would like to give towards that just mark that on the envelope that's for love offering or if you're writing a chat um, right um, love offering for there, and um, went for around. He's been pastoring for 52 years, and now he's um, retired from that, and is um, traveling around preaching. And we want to be able to help him be able to continue to um, preach for the blessing he's being with us, preaching the gospel, and so we will support him financially. And so let's um, go ahead and um, pray um, for the offering, and then um, we'll have another song. The um, message from the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that um, for how much you've um, given in provision for this church, Lord, for doing the various projects we've done over the years, the renovations, all the remodeling, and um, for the new sign in the doors. Um, we're um, trying to get replaced. And we just pray, Lord, that um, you help us be able to get those um, completed as well as um, for the ladies' restroom. Um, pray that we're going to be able to get that completed soon. And just thank you, Lord, for everything you've done. We ask for your blessing on the message and on the offering. In Jesus' name, amen.
And he stood up and he said, hard dead. And he sat back down for that time period. He went another three long years. And this young monk, it was his turn to stand. And he stood up and he said, I quit. The guy said, well, the head monster, you may as well have quit. You've complained every since you've been here. So perhaps that's uh, on your mind today is complaining. But God uses us in different ways. And he uses us in different times. And God has got a special plan for you. When you are saved and you are baptized, that's good. But the next thing you need to do is you need to become involved and find where God's perfect will is for your life. In Sunday school, we took 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, and we spelled out the word steps. And in your Bible, every time you go to that passage, you'll see the giant S. T-E-P-S. And I had you write that in in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. Steps. You need to take the right steps this morning. You need to make the right step and you did by coming to church. But you need to follow the steps that God has put you on the trail to achieve the goal that he has for your life. What does God want you to do? I don't know what he wants you to do in the world. That we need to spiritually find what God would have us to do and have us believe God's interested in you. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes. You've not been there for a while, but it's a book right after the book of Proverbs. So if you find Proverbs, you'll find Ecclesiastes is just a little bit further away, just a little bit. It's the next chapter over. And we find in Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. I want you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 9. And I want you to see what God has to see and what I believe the Lord laid on my heart for your church this morning. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. There's nothing that's more on the Lord's mind than your church. It's the only thing that he left in this world was his church. And the most important thing is for us to know that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Our church should be the one that's guiding us, the one that's leading us, the one that's protecting us. It's a church that causes a city to change. It doesn't matter how big your church is. But the Bible says if we're in a city and we affect that city, and you do when you're a church, especially when you're the right kind of a church, and especially as Baptist people, we can trace our, trace our history all the way back to the time of Jesus Christ. And I thank the Lord for that. And because of that, he's placed churches in cities. We have a whole mission conference. We had our 50th annual church planning conference in Yakima in October. Every time I go through a city, a town, or a village, and every time you drive into church, you go through little towns and big towns, Towns that need churches. We need to plant churches. The visible, assembled body of believers, it needs to be in every town. It doesn't matter if it's big or small, because you have an influence on this city. On this city of Napavine, I'll guarantee you, they never come down and say, we're going to pay your bill, your electric bill. We know the church needs help. No, no, no. They're never going to do that. They're never going to cut you a break in your car service. 
and they're going to come down and say, hey, let me do something to your building. Can we build on your building? Nobody in your city cares about you, but Jesus cares. He's the only one that will. And he's the only one. He's placed you in this church. He's placed and given you in this church. And I think that we need to see just what God will do in a little city. Now, you say, Pastor, Dapavine is bigger than a lot of towns, but I want you to know that it's small compared to France and Paris, compared to different places around the world, in Chicago and New York. There's a lot of what we would call big cities. About 80% of our population of students at Bible College, they come from small cities. That's where most people come from, is in a small city. And the Bible talks about that city in Ecclesiastes 9. God would respect the reading of God's word. I had you just stand just for a moment. And look with me at Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 14. Because the Bible talks about the importance of that little city. In Ecclesiastes 9.14, it says, There was a little city and few men within it. And there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a certain poor wise man, verse number 15, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. In verse 16, then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of wise men, verse number 17, are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that groweth among fools. And look at verse number 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Father, help us to understand today that you have placed us here. Father, it's not someplace else that we serve, not someplace else that we live. But Lord, this is your town. If I was close to this city, I would attend it no matter what. I would make it to be my home. And Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you that you love the church and gave yourself for it. And this little city, there had to be a man of God. There had to be a church. And Lord, Satan becomes a man that besieges the city. And Lord, today, Nabavine has been besieged by Satan. He is wanting to ruin, he's wanting to destroy, he's wanting to remove everything about the church and every city and town in America. And Lord, I pray that we'll understand that it's up to us as people of God to stand against him and to rise up and to build the church. And Father, we love you. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen. May you see that. The Bible says in verse number 14, it says, there was a little city. In Micah chapter 2, 5, verse 2, it says, though thou be little among the thousands. The Bible talks about littleness or smallness. It talks about five small creatures that are very valuable and very important to the Lord. When the Bible talks about the size, it's not the size that makes a difference because great power is in a stick of dynamite. We need to understand today, God gives and he understands and he cares about 
little cities. He cares about yours. When you drive down the streets, when you look at the apartment buildings that are down the road, you understand that God has placed those here, and he's placed you and I here, that we may be a blessing, that we may be able to reach them for the Lord. Turn over to Proverbs 11 and verse number 10 before we start. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 10, Proverbs 11, just to the left, in verse 10, the Bible says, when it goeth well with the righteous, verse number 10, it says, the city rejoices. You see, when God's people are being blessed, when God's people are living for the Lord, when God's people are smiling, and when they're together, when they're enjoying fellowship, like we had yesterday, we had a good fellowship, men and women, and they had better dessert than we had, because I saw the dessert that you ladies had, and I liked the types of that, and take it over to the men. Now, we had dessert, it was good, I ate it all, but it didn't look like your dessert, and it was, it was very good. It's funny that all that dessert is God, Brother Jace, I don't know it. But yeah, actually, we have some next door. Oh, right. I'm pretty sure that's all right. Well, we're saying, amen. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know that there's something special about that. There's something that God has for you to do. There's something that he has for you, someone he has for you to reach. We need to be faithful because God, Christ, loved the church, and he gave himself for it. When you come back to Ecclesiastes, I want you to look at verse number 14. <laughs> chapter number 10. And notice in verse 13, let me start there. This wisdom have I also, I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city, and few men within it, verse number 14, and there came a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. The Bible shows us, and gives us the adjective, little. There was a little city surrounded by the enemy. I want you to know that that enemy was Satan. That was Satan himself. And I want you to know today that Satan has surrounded your city. He set up bulwarks against it. The meaning of bulwarks are great mounds of earth. And you uh, know in our uh, national anthem, we talk about the rocket's red glare, bombs bursting in air. And the bulwarks that were set were to control the explosions of the cannon fire that was sent upon the city. Also, the Bible says, besides that, it says it was besieged. It was besieged. It had, in other words, it was surrounded by hostile troops. That's what the word besieged means. Around that city were hostile troops. Satan and the, the angels that fell from heaven are out to destroy you. They're out to destroy your family. They're out to destroy your preacher. They're out to destroy everything that's good. And they want to destroy your church. We've got to understand today that Satan is alive. He's real. Right. Satan is active among the government. He's active among our society. They don't care about you. They don't care about your lights, your building, your home. They would rather see you gone. You know how many churches are closing every year? Every year in America, we lose more and more churches. Mm. Listen, we're trying to find a pastor still for our church. And there's other churches looking for preachers. If you get tired of your preacher, somebody will snatch them up quick because they love to have somebody that's faithful, that loves their church, that is there. And that's the kind of pastor you have in Brother Jason. But I want you to know 
that around America today, churches are closing because of a lack of ministry, a lack of caring. We went through COVID. We lost some people during COVID. People that quit coming to church, people that didn't want to come to church. And it's an amazing thing what that had. It shows us just how close we are to the mark of the beast. And when Jesus comes back, that eventually is going to happen. And everybody, Christians, will not be around. You don't have to worry about taking the mark of the beast because we'll be gone, praise God. But we understand that the mark of the beast will be easily absorbed and taken in by the average person. They just won't care. And God tells us that they will believe a lie. There was a little city, and there were few men within it. It was weak. It was not a strong city. It was not powerful. And their great king, a great king, Satan is who he is, against it. And he sieged it. He put that hostile, hostile troops, those that were around, the demons, and they became, they besieged it, and they built great bulwarks against it. Bible says bulwarks are that which secures against an enemy. We need to realize today that they did not want it to come. They did not want it to be. Your city is just as bad. Satan wants to come in and he wants to, to destroy all that, that is good. Look at the next verse, verse number 15. Now there was found in it a poor, wise man. You know who that was? That was a man of God. That was a preacher. And God tells us that in that city, that poor wise man represents your pastor. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. God says that he'll give it wisdom abundantly. He'll give it freely. He'll give it to anyone that asks. Amen. And we need to understand that God wants us to make wise choices right. and wise decisions in our life. For our family, we need to make wise decisions for our church. We need to make wise decisions, as this church has lasted for over 100 years, we need to make decisions that will be full of wisdom. You realize that a lot of times I go out of town and I preach in different churches, and I'm in camps and revivals and meetings, and men will often come to me, and they'll say, Brother Dave, Dave Brown, say, can I ask you a personal question? I've got this kind of a problem in my life. Now, I can answer Bible questions, and I can show you what the Bible has to say. And I can point out different scriptures. But oftentimes, people will come to me with a problem about their church, a problem about their life, a problem about their marriage, and I just go, Shh. it just goes over my head. And I think, and I, you know, I don't know what to say. And you know what I come up with? I come up with the fact that God gives wisdom for your problems from your preacher. I cannot answer the question for other men because I'm not their pastor. I'm not their pastor. I'm not the one that they come under, they've submitted to in leadership and in authority. It's not just going to church, but it's joining the church, becoming a part of the church. And if you can't get behind that church and where it's going and who's leading that church, you should never go there to begin with. We need to fall in love with the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What a wonderful thing to know that God used the wisdom of the poor, wise man to lead those people to victory. I want you to know that there's something that stands out. In this city, he's seized by Satan. Satan was all over 
The Bible says, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no man remembered that same poor man. There are a lot of accolades given to all kinds of stars, all kinds of movie stars and music stars, but there's very little, and nobody's ever going to come to your preacher and say, man, we're so glad that you're in Napa. What a blessing! They don't care about him. They don't care about me. They don't care about pastors. I want you to understand and know that the wisdom, it comes from God. God is going to give your pastor, not Dave Brown, not anybody else, wisdom to make the choices that your church needs. You love your church. The Bible says in verse number 15, yet no man remembered that same poor man. Look at number verse number 16. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. See, a lot of strong guys, young guys, when you're in your youth, strength is an important thing. It's a big thing. But listen, when you get older, you know the first thing you go is your knees and then your elbows. And you start to lose strength. That is a hard thing to accept. My wife, my body says, I can do a lot of things. I can jump on that horse. I can fix that yard. And listen, I think they've done one or two things on I just can't do it. I don't have the strength. I think I can do it up here, but down here, mm, it's just not there. I'm not going to get the job done. We need to understand that strength is wonderful, but it's not the most important thing. Wisdom is better than strength. That's what the Bible has to say. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised. Oh, you should never understand. Listen, the smartest man in the church is your pastor. You may have ideas, you may have different things that come. You may have a certain skill and ability that God has given to you. But let me tell you something. There's something to the understanding of the realm, of the ministry, and the most logical thought of the church. God gives your preacher wisdom. He gives him guidance. He gives him special authority. You know why? Because he's a pastor. A lot of times people have come to me and I've not known I thought, Lord, you know, help me with this, and God gave me an answer all of a sudden. Or that during that week, God would show me what the answer was. And listen, the service that's the hardest to attend, God has got an answer for your problems. If you'll just come, oftentimes I see people stay in the very, very Sunday that I'm there, or the very Sunday at night, or the very Wednesday night that I preach on that subject. It would have solved the problem in their life. But they're not there, and they weren't there to get the word. They were not there to receive the wisdom that I had to impart. It's not a thing that I wrote about, but I know that when I was reading, God was using, and he gave me wisdom. As we give to your pastor today. You trust him, you rely upon him. Look at verse number 16. Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Yeah, what is Brother Jason like? Yeah, I've been in this business a long time. Yeah, you know, what about these doors? Why can't he get those doors fixed? Those are kind of things. Listen, it's very easy to allow things to come in to destroy your church. We need to protect our church. We need to watch over our church. We need to understand that there is guidance and direction in our church. And God wants to preserve his church. 
by preserving that wisdom. The Bible says in verse 17, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. You know, when it comes to protection, we need to learn to protect our church. You say, Pastor, if someone was out there, I would certainly I'd get out there and try to I'd protect our church. I'd take up arms, or you can count on me, or if it's 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd be willing to protect my church. And boy, we need to. And we understand that all kinds of things are happening. In Brewster, Washington, Brother Corey Hickman was there, and a man came up at night, and he threw a firebomb to the Catholic Church, and it bounced off their window and exploded on the porch. They went down the street this little bit with another firebomb just last year, and they threw it through the window, and it went through the window of their auditorium, and that firebomb burned, and it burned the whole church down at 2.30 Sunday morning, and the Bible uh, was just, everything in the room was destroyed. He destroyed the building upstairs and downstairs. You know, the beautiful thing is, just about two months ago, I went and I preached for Brother Cody Humborg up in uh, Tenasket, and I came back down, I viewed the church, and I said, would you give me a, a tour through the church? I said, are you guys open? This is about ready to open. And he said, yes, I did. And they've got a brand new church building. Oh, man, the city is, is right behind the people that don't even go to church. They're all over them. They honk their horns. They, they send flowers. They send all kinds of things. Because in that little city of Brewster, Washington, that church, nobody really cared about it before. But they're thankful because they didn't want somebody to destroy the church. Catholic Church up the road said, listen, they didn't run up our building, but we want you to come and use our church for services. We've got a brand new auditorium off to the side that you can give us. And so that's where they went down. The Baptist church went down to the Catholic church. They had Mother Mary up on the wall hanging over and over again when he preached. He said, I look like this. Mother Mary was up there. But, uh, that didn't do anything because Catholicism does not teach salvation. And they do not normally love Baptists in this day and age. But I want you to know that Brother Corey's wisdom was to build that building. And it's beautiful. And it's painted gray. And it looks wonderful. And you see four big windows. You can see the mountains all the way around the outside of Brewster. I want you to know that Satan's after the church. By the way, he caught that guy, and he's in jail this morning. But I want you to know and understand that Satan wants to destroy your church. We need to defend the church. Physically, we need to defend it. And emotionally, we need to defend it. When our church is there, our church became strong by people working together, people loving each other, people just serving all the time. But you know when gossip and the tongue gets involved? The book of James talks about the tongue. What a little member, how small it is. It's gossip that destroys the church. In the old days, it was take the sword or take Islam. Today, it's the tongue. We need to be careful about what we say. When there's a work day around church, and I mean work days, and this didn't turn out well, and it's hot and it's miserable, we got to eat in Yakima. And when you start digging, and when you start chopping those weeds, and when you start scraping on a building, all of a sudden it gets hard. And you thought you were going to quit in the afternoon so you could do something special with your kids. 
and all of a sudden you realize that somebody's not there. Somebody don't, don't ever say when you're working at church, where's Joe? Where's me? Where's so-and-so? And listen, somebody else has to leave, somebody else has to leave. We need to defend our church by not saying bad things about other people. My mom used to say this, you can't say anything good about it, just don't say anything. That's a good thing to follow. Gossips like to take and cut everybody down to their own size so they're about this tall. They just like to cut everybody out. Gossip becomes a thing that we use and you become a receptacle or a garbage can for gossip. When you become a garbage can for gossip, people come to you and they dump on you. Pastor, I don't know why they said that to me. They always come to me. They always, you know why? They perceive that you're not honest and you're not trustworthy and you receive praise unto yourself. Don't ever let anybody come and praise you. When they say, hey, that was a great song. Hey, you did a good job. Hey, Mrs. Pastor, you played the guitar very well this morning. You know what she's going to tell, tell you? She's going to always reflect that to higher authority. I know she will. James would say, yes, I'm glad the pastor allows me to play. I'm glad God gave me the ability to play. I'm glad I know the guitar. I never learned the guitar, but I'm glad that God gave me the ability. You deflect praise and you deny worship. But somebody tries to worship you and they say, Pastor, nobody ever worshiped me. Oh, yes, there be somebody. Everybody has somebody that worships you. Don't allow when you become aware of anybody to worship you. We need to deflect praise. We need to deny worship. We protect our church by not allowing those things to come. Don't let Satan use you. Don't let your voice and your gossip and your criticism and your ridicule mess up another member. Don't be somebody that everybody looks to and somebody goes to and eventually tries to get into a group. We had a family in our church one time. They had another family over for dinner. And that dinner was good and there was big steaks and there was good big potatoes and there was all kinds of things and I'm starting to get hungry. So I will talk about it. It was, a, it was a wonderful time. They were having fellowship and friendship. And all of a sudden, the husband of the house, he changed it over and said, you know, there's some things at church that we need to pray about. Did you know that a lot of gossip comes to praying for other things? People say, well, what do you know? And listen, a lot of times the gossip does not know. They don't know what's going on. They just heard bits and pieces. They, they don't know. And they will pump you. And listen, if you're not aware of this, they will try in a subtle way to get you to tell them what you know about the problem. And they'll try to get all they can. They'll try to scam it all in. They'll try to get it all in. And they'll try to, in a very delicate way, receive criticism. Don't become a garbage can for gossip and listen to that stuff. You know the best way to stop gossip in your church? Is say, listen, brother, let's go right over and see Brother Jason. Let's go talk to the pastor right now. And I'll put a stop to it real quick. Don't allow the attack on your church to come through the treatment of emotions and gossip. Another way to protect our church is by <clears throat> protecting the pastor. We need to protect him. He said, Pastor, I'm going to protect him. Nobody's going to touch him, but listen, we need to protect him not only that way, but we need to protect him financially. We need to be a church member that is a giver. 
We need to be a tither. God simply said, and we talked about, there's more talking about the money in the Bible than any other subject there is. There's more talk about money in the Bible than many other subjects. But the Bible says that we have to give our 10, 10%. 10% of what you've earned. If you didn't earn anything last week, you don't owe God anything. But if you did earn, if it was $100, it's $10, it's $10, boys and girls. We used to collect candy, trade in bottles, we get all kinds of stuff to make baby set. We need, and we sit down on Saturday night with all of our kids, we've got nine children. And we used to go through and say, well, how much did you make this week? How much did you make this week? And we all sit down on Saturday night with offering envelopes, and we figured out our tithe, uh, our tithe. It's 10%. I would buy an ice cream cone for my kids and take away God's money and take away his tithe. You see, we don't get any rewards in heaven for giving it a tithe. We get that on earth. But the Bible does say we get rewards for every penny that we give that belongs to us. It may be a penny. It may be a thousand dollars. God may bless us a million times. Well, I don't know what the return is. But the Bible says that the return is great. God says good measure, pressed down, shake together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. When we give towards the building, when we give towards doors, when we give to missionaries, when we give to supplying musical instruments, when we give and understand, listen, God gives it all back to you. Everything that you give, God has to give it back to you. He says, I'll be a debtor to no one. He says, I'll not see my seed begging bread. A guy by the freeway talked to me through the window on this pause. He says, hey, buddy, do you have five bucks? And I said, sir, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't be out here borrowing and begging and pleading for money. He got angry. He came up to my car and started to say some things. He said, listen, the Bible says, I'll not see my seed begging bread. And you're out here because you've not put God first in your life. And I want you to know, Christian people, we protect the church by our giving. By our tithes and by our offerings and by our giving. There was a time when it was a good thing, but I hear the doorbells. Remember when you were a kid and rang doorbells? I rang doorbells. It was fun. We ring doorbells, we run off, we laugh, and we thought we were running for like somebody stand on the porch, they look out in the dark like this. They look around and just laugh. One time I tripped and I fell in the guy's bush, and I was laying there on my face down in the bush, and he came to the door. He goes, Dave Brown. So what are you doing laying in my bushes? <laughs> He's my next door neighbor. And uh, he says, I'm going to tell your dad. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to do a But you know what's a good thing? It's when somebody brings a doorbell, and we go to the door, and there'd be some groceries on my porch. I remember those early days, starting out, when people took, said, Pastor, can we leave some groceries? Pastor, can we take your car and let's fill it up with groceries? Ever had your car filled up and packed out and the windows full of just plain groceries when you didn't have any food to eat? Listen, the preachers live by faith. They live by God. Listen, they don't get the bonus that you do at Christmas time. They don't get the big things that come in. And pastors just have to make it on their own. Now, I'm able to say that your pastor is not. But listen, we need to protect our church by taking care of our pastor and the needs that he has and the developments that he got. He has kids. Those kids have got to eat. 
Those little kids' shoes cost as much as big men's shoes. Even though they don't wear them yesterday, they walk around barefoot in the grass and they can't get over that because I was frozen. And they were out there, Nathaniel and Daniel were both barefooted. It was funny to me. Jason's little boy had a blue mustache. If you look real hard, you can almost see a blue mustache there today because he was having a good time. But listen, we protect the family. We protect his wife by remembering their anniversary. Somebody has got to take charge when there's an anniversary that comes. When it's time for your pastor, when he's had that time, you need to support him, you need to encourage him. You know when their birthdays are? It wouldn't take more than 10 minutes to sit down and write a trial drop in the mail. Even if you don't put a $5 bill inside, it would be real wonderful for sometimes somebody to say, Preacher, we want to take your kid. We want you guys to just go get lost, get alone, you know, just, just be together. Here's some money you can go out and eat. That's been a long time since you've done that. And I want you to remember that God will bless you when you protect your preacher. Listen, we protect the church by protecting our pastor. He's facing all the world. He has unknown things, unseen things, wickedness of Satan himself that wants to destroy, to take his life. He's carrying a big load. And you can lighten his load by praying for him and by giving and by doing special things. God will honor your family and he will bless you for meeting your needs and your pastor. I just do all that in for free. It's in there somewhere. We need to protect our church. The man, the poor wise man, was protected. I want you to see something that's special. Turn over to chapter 12. In chapter number 12 of Ecclesiastes, we see something that jumps out. It's amazing. In chapter number 12, the Bible says in verse number 1, By the way, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Why the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Boy, young people, we need to remember the Lord in the days of our youth. We need to serve God. We need to do some things that our older men in the church cannot do. Trying to clean out for amazing. I saw it a few years ago, and it was much better than this A lot of work. You can't do it. Older guys, the young guys with those young knees, and strength that you have, you can do it in a matter of minutes. It's amazing. Look at verse number nine, talking about this little city. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, verse number nine, there was wisdom. He understood things that normal people don't get. He understood things that would help you as a family, church family member. The Bible says because the preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave them good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. All oh, this not that the preacher does. You see, he's working and he's serving and he's studying and he's preparing and he's ready to help you in a time of need. Listen, if you'll listen and understand that God uses the wisdom of the pastor to guide He's going to help you and he's going to show you some things you've never said. Men, it may be that you've never taken pastor and said, hey, listen, I'm going to take you to lunch. I'm going to take you to dinner. Can I just get with you 
and talk with you a little bit and buy lunch and sit down and talk about the problems of your life. He's not going to go home. Listen, I never took problems and everything. And there's some things that my wife knows that I did not give her anything she could not bear alone. I did not want her to carry the load. That's my job as a man. It's your job as your husband to protect your wife and to guide her and lead her. But you need to be the one to go sometimes to the pastor. Say, Pastor, this is what's going on in my life. Show me from the Bible. I want to hear what the Bible has to say Amen. about my life. Where does it say this? What do I need to do? And a lot of times it's just, wow, my eyes are open. And I thank my pastor. And I thank him for the direction and the guidance that he gives. That's the way God wants you to be and understand. The Bible says in chapter 9 and verse 9 about the poor wise man, chapter 9 and verse 15. The preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge. That's church. He gave them good heed that he does, and he sought out and set in order many properties. The preacher, verse number 10, sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify him by thy word. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. Nothing else matters but the word of God. Nothing else is truthful but the word of God. We need to understand God has preserved his word. I thank the Lord that he's given us his word in this old King James Version. The preacher sought to find, and the Bible says, even the words of truth. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are as goats and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from, listen, one shepherd. Who's the great shepherd? It's Jesus Christ himself. Who's the under shepherd? Your master is the under shepherd. And listen, we're going to give an account to God for everything that we do, every advice that I gave, everything that, that I live, every day through my ministry, I'm going to have to stand before God himself. And I'm going to be judged on a higher plane than I have ever you. For that which I gave and I led my people, oh, I don't want to lead my people astray. And your pastor has got the same obligation to love you and to serve you and to treat you in a certain way. Listen, you've got to trust him and rely upon him as being the one who's going to be the one shepherd. God gave us a church. And he gave a shepherd to lead, to guide, and to prevail over that church. I don't know what liberal churches do. They don't have a real shepherd, but you do. Look at verse number 12. And further, by these my son be admonished, but making many books, there is no end. Young people like this. Much study is a weariness of the flesh. Yes, it is. But look at verse 13. Let us not hear the conclusion. Let us now hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Look at this, underlining your Bible. Fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is a whole duty of man. You realize that God wants you to learn to fear him, to have a reverential trust, to understand that it's not just salvation, and it's not just baptism that's important when a couple comes together. But listen, if they don't have the fear of God, that's not the person for you. 
We need to be people of God. We need to fear God. We need to understand that he made the heavens and the earth. We need to understand the strength and the wisdom of God. And we need to learn to fear him. Why? Because he trusts you. He loves you. He wants you to live for him. Verse number 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I want you to know today that God is looking out your little city. And he's placed your church within this little city. And he wants your church to prosper. He wants it to flourish. He wants it to grow. The only way we can is to fall in love with our church as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it and follow the leadership of your pastor and understand that you've got to do everything that you can. If everybody would just do, listen, the church is given. God has given to the church the kind of people that he wants fitly, jointly, fitly, and framed together. That's what the Bible says. You never find a group of people just like this in the whole city, in your whole town, of Napa Line. You know why? It's because God's put together an unusual age group, an unusual people, different nationalities, different situations, young and old. He's put us all together. And he's made you a church. That's what we need to live for. That's what we need to try for. That's what we need to pray for. Because God has placed you in the church and he wants to take your church and bless it. Oh, listen, when we begin to understand our little city and how important it is in the state of Washington, everybody's going to understand that God has been, and God has touched, and God is working in your church. That's your God. And fathers, we thank you today and we understand today that not everybody understands what the local church is. But Father, the local church is important to you. You gave yourself for you died on Calvary, not just for the individual, but you died and gave your life for the church. Lord, when we're baptized, we become a member of that church. We're baptized into the church. And Father, everything in life is given. And Father, you're not through with us yet because we have a heartbeat and a breath. And you're not finished with us yet because there's something that we can do more in our church that we've not done in the past. And Father, I pray as we analyze in our mind, as we call out to you, as we ask for direction, maybe our relationship is not like it should be with our pastor. Father, perhaps today we need to make it right. We need to make a decision. We need to teach that class. We need to drive that man. It could be today we need to do the ushering. I don't know what it is for you, but I pray God that you'll help us to understand you love the church and gave yourself to it. Lord, we must understand it. Would you stand? And as we sing this verse, I pray God would use you, God would move you, because God's calling you to come to this altar. This altar is here because, not because we've done something wrong, not because we're worried about other people, not because we think it put people in pain, but we just simply say, yes, Lord, I want to be all that I can be for you. Same words.